Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. Hi everybody, I'm here today and I wanted to get on here just for a little bit to to help some of you who have maybe some some little birdies in your ear or a, a nagging wondering a question for you in terms of wondering whether or not your child fits more appropriately an autism spectrum disorder diagnosis compared to being highly sensitive. And so sometimes, you know, for those of you who have scheduled calls with me or have looked at that, um, you know, this is something that, that we talk about in terms of whether or not we would be a good fit to, you know, for me to support you. And parents have to be certain that their kid is highly sensitive. That's what this whole group is about, right? And so what I want to do is just, just help reinforce your certainty that your child is highly sensitive and help you understand the nature of autism spectrum d- disorder and the the core of that disorder and how you can use that deductive reasoning to determine and and to increase your certainty that your child is in fact highly sensitive and does not fit the the ASD diagnosis. Now, as a licensed clinical professional counselor, it is my duty to help you understand that we are not diagnosing your kid. And it's also true that you as the parent need to be informed on how professionals could be evaluating your children if you go this route in terms of ruling it out. And so for 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 some of you, you want support. You know, your child may be having meltdowns in the community, in school, at home. You're observing rigid thinking where your child just can't get over the hump whenever you're trying to help them move on from a subject. They seem like they're a dog with a bone. Um, and if this is happening, then what's what's going on in, in that respect? Part of you can be like, mm, you know, is this is does this have anything to do with how my child's brain is developing? Which is what um, you know, autism spectrum disorder is a developmental disorder. The brain is not developing in a in a neurotypical way. Um, unfortunately, you know, in today's day and age, we call it a disorder. Um, comparatively to those who are neurotypical, which is, you know, people who do not fit the, the disorder, I mean, do, do not fit the, the characteristics of, of a developmental delay. So what that means, and I'm, I'm just going to use the terminology that most people know um, and, 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 and bear with me here in terms of, of understanding that when we use this language, it is meant to understand the nature of the label as it is today and not to be viewed as a detriment to children who are who are neuroatypical. So, um, kids who who fit the criteria for autism spectrum disorder 
have some parallels to the highly sensitive personality trait when highly sensitive children are struggling. Now, what's important to be clear on is that if your child fits the, the personality trait and, and you discern that by, you know, as I've said before, and there are resource, resources here in the group, you discern that by completing the research-backed parent self-report, that's in the announcements in this, in this section, you discern that by acknowledging how your child fits the DOES characteristics, depth of processing, easily overstimulated, emotionally reactive and empathetic, and sensitive to subtleties. So if you've done those two things and you're saying, okay, my kid checks the boxes, they, they fit the scale of this the spectrum of being highly sensitive, but I have teachers who are like, hmm, pretty sure your kid's just high functioning autistic and we need to go this way. Or you, you're, you're, you're trying to see if mental health therapy is, is the right route and you're, you're trying to figure out which specialist to, to seek support with. Um, and if your child needs individual therapy, then you want to find the therapist who can support you in that way. And you need a therapist who's unable and learned in understanding the difference between highly sensitive personality trait and autism spectrum disorder. Because if you're working with somebody who just specializes in autism spectrum disorder and they're not familiar with the HSC trait, then they are, you're, they are going to look at your child with a limited lens. So um, I, I happen to, to be fortunate enough to have been trained in identifying both. And so what I want to do is really help you guys to, to, to understand what you need in order to, to feel even more certain and solid that your kid's highly sensitive. So the, 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 the parallels that we can see just in terms of behavior and, and thinking processes and in terms of kids who may fit the criteria for highly sensitive uh, personality trait or um, uh, uh, high functioning autism disorder um, is that your child can hold down a conversation, your child can make eye contact, kids who are, are high functioning on the spectrum make eye contact. Um, they might want friends and um, you know try to engage in, in, in friendships. And so there are parallels here that you're like, hmm, it doesn't really fit. You know, my, you know what I know about autism spectrum disorder is, is you know, kiddos have, um, you know, have trouble speaking. They have trouble uh, managing their emotions. They get very, very stuck on particular things. They can hyper-focus on um, on interests and so that might mean where you know they they only have a conversation about dinosaurs and that's all they want to talk to you about um, at the lower end of functioning of, of the spectrum uh, um, they might repeat words and and that's called echolalia where the the child will you know you'll say you know um time to go and they'll say to go to go and like they'll it's it's they're echoing what you're saying they don't have the verbiage to communicate with you in an effective way um, in, in a way that helps them get their needs met. And so when we think about um, autism spectrum disorder being on a spectrum and then highly sensitive personality trait being on a spectrum, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing this on purpose, guys, horizontal versus vertical, because highly sensitive personality trait is not a high, medium, low um, scale. Now, uh, one of the flaws that I see in, in the research um, self-report in terms of the scale being, you know, there's 26 questions in the book, there's 23 on her online uh, test, um, Dr. Dr. Aaron, if you hit 13, you're, you're more likely you've hit the threshold of, of, man, of, um, uh, of, of meeting the spectrum criteria for being highly sensitive. But what we know to be true, and I, I share that in the, the video on DOES, 
is that being highly sensitive is a spectrum. So your kid can hit five of them, but if those five are on fire and you're dealing with daily meltdowns and you know for certain your kid's not, not on the spectrum, then it's very, very likely that your child is highly sensitive. And so um, we can't look at the number scale as like a check the box. Oh, you meet the 13 threshold, and then you fit the, the criteria. Cover that in that video. So, so, but with, with the autism spectrum disorder, there is a core function of the disorder that is not present in highly sensitive children who are just highly sensitive. So I really want to dive deeper into this because at its core, autism spectrum disorder is a disorder in the, the brain's function of understanding that communication with another person can get my needs met. So what does that mean? What that means is that at the very, if, you know, when we think at, of autism spectrum disorder on a spectrum, at the very lowest point, we see nonverbal children who are not able to make eye contact, who have meltdowns repeatedly for multiple times a day, um, won't, won't engage parents. It's heartbreaking raising a child, um, trying to figure this out, trying to connect with a child who doesn't understand at the core function of their brain that having a relationship and using communication with another person in the room can get what they want to happen. So for nonverbal children who are on the autism spectrum, um, we actually help them learn to develop verbal ability to then get their needs met because they don't see people at the core. Now, people who are highly functioning, they intellectually can get it, and so then therefore they deduce that they need to, to, um, to interact with people in order to get their needs met. But people who are lower on the functioning of, of the developmental disorder um, of, of autism spectrum disorder they, at the core, you have to, to teach and, and, and support the parents to teach the child that if they communicate, whether that be verbal or nonverbal, so sign language um, or getting them to try and, and, and speak with, with words and, and try and, and use verbal ability um, or pointing is, is a form of communication. Body language is a form of communication. That development and the purpose of it is missing at the core of, of the families who, whose kids are really struggling with an autism spectrum disorder and they're nonverbal. So you actually have to teach that concept of language from the ground up with a kiddo with, with ASD and, and the traditional sense considered low functioning. Um, and, and because you guys aren't, um, most of you aren't mental health professionals, I'm not going to get into the, you know, the, the new language is neurotypical versus neuro, neuroatypical. And um, because what I think is important for you guys at, on this, in this conversation is to, to understand the core function and, um, and, um, and missing link in supporting a child with, with autism spectrum disorder is that they don't understand that language and communication with another person gets their needs met. They want something, they might desire something or actually, you know, need to be, to eat or, or have to go to the bathroom. And because they don't understand that communication can get that need met, then their needs go unmet and they melt down. And so parents whose kids are on the autism spectrum and their child is nonverbal 
and really struggling to, to build that relationship and find a way to connect with a child on the spectrum is, you know, parents can, can really struggle because they, they want, and that's the core function of the struggle of a family who's, who's really trying to wrap their head around um, how to, how to, to live and, and breathe and, and build new expectations for a family where your child is on the spectrum at the, at the very, um, at the very core of that spectrum. Now for, for parents whose, um, kids are on the autism spectrum and they're, they're more, um, they're more verbal, they're able to communicate their needs. They occasionally make eye contact, but not typically, especially not when they're comfortable. They still struggle with the concept that I can talk about something or that I can reach out to another person to get my needs met. Highly sensitive children, and we work on that, you know, in terms of um, when I've when I've worked with with um, um, with parents who, whose kids are on the spectrum, and in my practice, um, you know, throughout my years, our our goal was helping their children understand and helping their children get their needs met in safe ways. So there's 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 a there's a parallel here, right? You're, you're, if your child is highly sensitive and their needs are not being met in safe ways, then both 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 kids um, need the same need the same thing, but the way you go about it is very very different. And so, um, and so, with that said, um, if you're if you're if you're working with somebody who thinks that your kid is on the spectrum and has an, an autism spectrum diagnosis, then they're very, very likely to go a very behavioral route. And, and so you can watch my video on ABA. If, if this is a concern for you, just type it in the, in the chat. It's very, very ineffective. It, it, it's you know, rewards-based and, and um, performance-based versus helping the child truly understand the concept of language. If, if at the very core, you are certain that your child understands the concept that communication can get their needs met, then it is very, very much more likely, you know, and, and you can be certain in that understanding that your child does not fit the criteria for, for uh, an autism spectrum diagnosis. So what I want to do is, is give you guys the certainty and the understanding. And because this is what's maddening many of you is that you have this conversation with your kiddo about like, okay, you know, your kiddo says, I know I, I need to talk to you or I know I need to, um, I know I need to communicate, you know, and then you're saying, what can you do better next time? And your child's coming up with all sorts of ideas about what they can do. They, they, they express um, remorse and they're, they're sorry. And then that blame and that shame of I'm a bad kid and, and at, at worst, they start to, to really believe that you don't love them. And even worse than that, worry and, and believe that they are. What the core of autism spectrum disorder is, is a, a lack of understanding that language can get my needs met. Now, many, many, many of you understand and notice and observe that your child is intuitive, that your child is empathic or experience, expresses empathy at times not when they're melting down, right, which is what's so puzzling to you, and um, or when they're freaking out. And so your child is able to, to not just logically rattle off, you know, hitting is wrong, but also observe and feel and notice, which we see through the shame and, and the, the self-blame and, and the sometimes self-punishment, um, 
that you know they do the wrong thing and that they're worried about how other people might perceive you, them that connection and that ability to communicate in terms of getting the need met of, of wanting to try and feel comforted is not usually I say I always say usually is not typically a factor for kids on the on on the spectrum because the the focus on other people as relevant to get one's needs met is much less and so depending on where the child sits on the autism spectrum disorder it's either nearly irrelevant where you have to actually teach the concept or it's just not really um, not really a thing. And so when I've worked with, with teens on the spectrum or you know, preteens and then children, varying ages, varying ability to, to verbalize their needs, um, one of the core things is, 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 is not seeing the point of asking for help. Sure, like you, you know, somebody might say, you know, here, let's practice asking for help. You know, maybe it's, it's they need, they have a skill deficit of like not doing it, but they also don't see the point I can just go get what I want. So we see kids who are on the spectrum who will, you know, engage in, parents would come to me for a therapy and they, you know, they engage in sneaky behavior. Kids who are highly sensitive who engage in sneaky behavior because they can't manage their intense emotion and can't separate that intensity from their, their desire to get what they want, they hide the sneaky behavior and then they experience shame when when they are caught. Whereas a kiddo who's on the spectrum is much more likely to express frustration or deny being caught, but from a place of like not really caring about the consequences as much, but also from an understanding that um, that they'll be able to figure it out another way. Whereas a highly sensitive child might, you know, I mean, most kids when they're caught doing something, <laughs> you're asking them. Um, they're not going to own up to it because it's it's shameful, um, or because they just don't want to don't want to talk about it. Um, and and the the decision to to not speak with you about it is cloaked in shame rather than like what's the point? This is not relevant to me right now. So what I think for you guys in terms of of what's clear and understanding it, and what I help parents understand um, even further is that. At the core of understanding the highly sensitive personality trait, you know in your gut whether or not it's a skill deficit or a lack of concept of the logic. This is not something I've had to train my my team, my clinical team, and the practice on this. It's it's not something that's innate. It's something that you know I, you're downloading my brain over ten years of doing this work, guys, and um, and it, and with that said, it is um, sometimes it's. I mean, I'm, I'm teaching you my gut clinical sense as well as my you know decade of experience in in what we've been talking for 20 minutes. So there's going to be a semblance of, of of abstraction that is going to leave you thinking, okay, I think I get it. But what I really want to help you understand um, is that it's not your job to be certain on how to fix that or how to address it or how to solve the problem. It is your job to be certain that your kid's highly sensitive. So that's what I'm here to help you do. 
because if you're not certain, then you won't seek supports that that actively fit what works for this pop population. I do want to kind of like make sure that I'm communicating things to people in the non-mental health professional world um, to to really really ensure that I, that I'm I'm doing my best to break this down in layman's terms for you guys, um, so that you as a parent can be an educated parent. You know, part of the part of the job, um, and in terms of my role here for you guys in this group, is not to um, not to, to to give you tips and tricks to solve this in a twenty minute video. That's not going to solve this problem. But part of my job here, and, and what I what I see, is helping you guys understand and seem and feel clear and certain. Feel clear and certain that you are on the right track. Because one of the things that is so, so hard parenting a highly sensitive kid is feeling like you don't know what the fuck you're doing. And if you at least can recognize that, that your child's highly sensitive and feel that, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, then you've got one thing going for you and you know that you just need to digest every little thing that I say and get on the phone and, 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 and book a call. Because then you know what's going to work for your family versus trying to figure out, you know, do I want a label for my kids? Is a label even necessary? I've got six people in my ear saying X, Y, Z, you know, ADHD, you know, alphabet soup going on here. And when that's happening, you can go, you know, hold the phone, you know, and, and if you've got a spouse who's like, I don't want any sort of labels, using an acronym let's just call it like that instead of a label, using an acronym allows you to have a frame to determine what picture you're looking at. And when you do that, you know, you look at, at, at life from this picture, what it does is it allows you to change the frame, widen the frame, widen the scope, and when that happens, then you actually unlock possibilities for your child. So I really want you guys to notice that once you're certain that your child fits the highly sensitive personality trait, that that is a frame, not a box. It is up to you to paint the picture of how your child is going to, to, to live their life. It is up to you to decide whether or not you want your child's life experience to be an oil painting or a sketch, like from Etch-a-Sketch, because you don't know what you're doing and you're not really sure how things are going and like Etch-a-Sketches are really hard to draw with. Like that's really freaking hard. And so once you realize that it's not putting your kid in a box and limiting them and closing up the top and saying, you know, can't move forward, and, and you let that out, you, 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 you move out, or you shift out of that perspective that using HSC in your language, even just in your head, not even needing to say it out loud to anybody else except for you and your spouse when you're, when you're, when you're, you're working on what's working for the re in terms of what the research says to help your child. Once you have that freedom, then you are not held back with worry and fear of failure. So many, many, many of you will ask yourselves, is parenting my child from the framework, and here I am even requiring you at this point today, from the framework 
of the fact that my child's highly sensitive, is that going to be effective for my child in terms of raising a healthy, emotionally stable, communicative, successful, and purpose-driven, whether that be because they want to be a leader, they want to be an artist, they want to be a therapist, they want to be uh, a doctor, or a surgeon, a musician, a vagabond, but loving it with a roof over their head and taking care of their feet, you know, and, and, and maybe living the digital lifestyle and working from their computer in Florida in the, in the, in the winter and, and in Alaska in the summer. I don't know. But when you, you see that that can be a frame and your child's life can be this beautiful landscape of joy and excitement and spontaneity in terms of going to the park on a Saturday and picking up and, and just and just walking out the door and then seeing their future being possible versus worrying and being trapped in the prison of fear because you're literally putting your kid in a box and peering inside like, are you okay in there? Guys, without that framework, that's actually what you're doing. Without the clear understanding of, okay, if my kid's highly sensitive, here's how I unlock the possibilities. Without that focus, without that root, without that roadmap blueprint, then you are putting your kid in a box already. So, so stop worrying because you're doing it. Because you're putting your kid in a box of what's going to work? Will anything work? How did I mess this up? What am I going to do so I don't mess this up? How long is this going to go on? Holding my breath till they graduate. Holding my breath till they make it through puberty. Fearing puberty. I mean, that's the box you're already in. So if you're worried about using the highly sensitive personality trait as a label that was going to box up your kid, you're already in a box. So you have to really look at yourself and understand that that's what's happening. You're already putting your kid in a box if you're not unlocking the possibilities by using this framework. Because closing your eyes, pretending, you know, putting blinders on, um, not really taking a clear look at it, even just watching these videos once a month or something and, and just like feeling like, oh, okay, I did something, I learned some info, that's still not solving the problem. It still doesn't help you navigate life and support your child in eliminating daily meltdowns, in managing frustration, in creatively solving their problems. Your child cannot creatively solve their problem if they do not view that they are capable of solving problems. They cannot view that they are capable of solving problems if you don't view that they are capable of solving problems because you're too worried about putting a label on them, too worried about putting, a, putting them in a box, too worried about, you know, frustrated. Yeah. And so... While we're understanding that once you know what you're dealing with here, then you can figure it out and not let it dictate your life, the world is your oyster. Because when we think about people who are successful, let's just take, you know, corporate America, um, a typical run-of-the-mill, and I'm not saying that this is what you want for your kid, but I'm, I'm just going to pick a category for now, honestly, because we've been talking for 30 minutes. Say your kid is introverted. Let's let's just look at people in general. You know, you've got an, an introverted person who works in corporate America. They perhaps are an accountant, and they work for a big firm, 
and um, they occasionally like to um, to talk to people at the water cooler, but they don't really enjoy small talk, and they would prefer to have like more meaningful conversations. And so instead, they join a debate team, like or, or like one of those um, Toastmasters or something, and and. I know an introvert at Toastmasters, but maybe it's one where they sit down and it's like smaller and unique. And so that's just kind of intellectually challenging, not necessarily performance based. Um, or they, they, they go play Dungeons and Dragons with their friends on the weekends. And, and maybe they you know visit a couple of breweries on Sunday because it's not as busy as, as Saturday, whatever. This is a typical adult who, who you know lives in the hustle and bustle of life, but then takes their time, right? Maybe they, they go to, you know, they go on vacation at bed and breakfast instead of in New York City. Um, they travel to, you know, travel to the beach instead of um, doing excursions on a cruise with multiple stops. They know that about themselves, their limits and their boundaries, so that they allow themselves to experience the world. There's nothing in a box about that. They're just being them, doing their own thing, flourishing in their world. Nothing wrong with that, okay? And so when you think about adults who function at that level successfully, that's what you know we view as success and, and we think about um, you can take financial success, somebody who's able to hold down a job, um, use their paycheck to fill their bills, save some of it so that they can have a rainy day fund, save some of it so they can have vacations and um, you know, have, you know, grow up to have a family if they want and, and hold down a, a healthy marriage. You need to know, you need to, you need to build insight on yourself in order to take feedback from other people. And so if you don't have that insight, then you won't pick people who match your goals. You won't pick a spouse who, who's appropriate. You won't, um, you won't pick a job that's going to fit your needs. You, you, will, you will trial and error stuff without that level of understanding. And you'll make decisions upon a whim. And you'll struggle. So that's how we develop a, a successful and raise children who are successful in um, in the workplace, regardless of what their career career is going to be, um, who are successful in life, okay? Because it's not just about your your work. You know, maybe they want to choose to 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 be a stay at home mom or stay at home dad or stay home parent, and um, and they need to be able to navigate raising children without losing their shit every ten seconds because that's flipping hard. <laughs> <laughs> and so if that's your child's view of success and version of success and that's what they want, then they need to be able to find a mate and hopefully keep them. And, you know, if, if, if they're a monogamous person and they need to be able to communicate their needs and they need to be able to not get super frustrated every single time something doesn't go the way they want it to and not blow up. And in order to, to not, you know, perpetuate that for children. So when we think about what you guys are working on and, and the decisions that you're making now when your kid is, is four or five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, these are the core roots that are going to get you to that focus that you want at the end of the, at the, end of the journey for your child. The, the dreams you have for your child, it starts now and the decision when you trial and error it and you throw spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks and you stay stuck in your fear and you stay stuck in the boxes that you put yourself in, when that's how you drive your behavior, then you're playing Russian roulette with the future that you want for your kid. So what that does is it really sets your kid up for having to muscle up 
their own drive and hope on a prayer that they can figure their shit out on their own. And, um, you know, in spite of you as a parent. And so I know that's not what you want for your kids because, and if that's the case, then you need to understand where at the core and why at the core your child is struggling and, um, and in order to support it, in order to find the right direction. So, um, and, and to tune out the noise, guys, there, there's so many things that you guys are Googling up at late at night, trying to figure it out, trying to, you know, find research and trying to, to read. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the amount of blogs that, that cherry pick research out there, um, or that twist the research or don't even talk about the research, but then say like, here's what I found to work with my two children. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a, a variable factor of two. It worked with these two kids and you're going to go try that. Like, where's the science behind that? Where's the, where's the validity behind that? Where's the foundation? What's the reasoning? Because you felt like it. Like that's how that, and, and it worked for what, three days, like a week, like what, what's, what's driving that decision. And, um, and, and so if, when you guys are getting analytical, stop getting analytical on how do I fix this problem? And, and, um, you know, will my child ever get out of this and start getting analytical on who am I listening to? That's going to help me get this problem solved. What am I focusing on? That's going to help me get this problem solved. Where am I limiting myself to hide from my own fears in order to prevent myself from actually truly solving the problem? So that moved into a whole bigger conversation, but I hope it was, you gained some clarity on why if your child fits the highly sensitive personality trait, it's unlikely, though not impossible, unlikely that they also fit the autism spectrum disorder especially when you're comparing kids who are high functioning and um, kids who are, who are HSCs. Because if you're going to talk to, 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 um, to a specialist or an expert who um, only looks at the, at the ASD diagnosis and they know nothing about HSCs, then they are going to see that. But you have to observe um, where you're getting your information and and whether or not that person who's helping you try to figure this out is well-rounded in a broad understanding of why they are certain that their specialty is the solution for your problem. So you don't want to work with somebody who, who feels like they can treat everything. And, um, and, and when that happens, then, then you just spin your wheels. Uh, but you also need to know that you're on the right track. So, I'm going to tell one last story, and then I'm going to finish for tonight. Um, I was talking to, and then this is kind of one. I'm talking to to a good friend of mine, good clinical. You know, she's a clinician, good friend of mine, um, and she has a significant amount of training and expertise in treating trauma. And knowing me, she's heard of the personality trait. And so um, she's done a little research on it. And um, as a result, when she has a kiddo come into her office and she thinks um, she can help because of her experience helping kids with, with trauma, um, who, you know, abuse, neglect, adoption, trauma, um, 
single incident trauma, like, you know, car crashes and things like that, grief, um, terrible things happening to children and, and even generational experiences is, is work that I used to do. And, and that's how we became friends because we, we operate from that understanding of like shit's really hard and, um, and we were good at it. I, I'm, and, and so while it's, like I said, I, that's not um, the work I do. I, I, we, we speak about that kind of work because it, it holds a, a piece of my heart. And anyways, um, so she's, she's very, very good. And I know she's very, very good because I am very good at that too. And so I know how to identify people who are very, very good at that work. And so she's very, very good at that. And when she has a highly sensitive kid come into her office and we're talking about this and, and she was consulting with me, one of the things that I think is so important is that she, um, you know, she, she made a comment about, um, about this kiddo who was, who was through a lamp in the living room and it crashed and, um, and, and, and it was like a, like a non thing, like you know, yeah, he threw he threw the lamp, and, and then this happened, and then this happened, and and um, this child does not have a history of, of trauma. He, he does not have a history of witnessing domestic violence or having somebody physically hurt him, or emotionally or sexually hurt him. And um, and I'm not going to go into too deep for you guys because I know that's not the scope of, of your specialty because your parents and, and you don't need to know the nitty gritty, but. For children who have experienced tra traumatic events, their bodies are out of control and they can do some pretty aggressive and violent things because they just don't know how to manage the big feelings of the terrible, horrific things that have happened to them. And so um, she's looking at it, you know, this, this child's experience as, um, you know, well, that's to be expected because some kids do this. Because what she knows is kids who have experienced significant trauma do this. So for her, it's normal in the work she does. And what I think is so, so important is that we were talking about this, like for, for a kiddo who's highly sensitive, whose parents are just having a mismatch. Yes, that's traumatic for the child in terms of not feeling understood by the people who are supposed to be taking care of you. And you need to work on that and, and repair that, that traumatic experience of being raised by somebody who doesn't understand. And it's also true that because there's not one singular event or multiple events where the parent is, is intentionally doing harm, You have to look at it from a different angle when you're working with family like that. And she was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, it's it's like a, oh, my goodness, I kind of fell into my routine. And the hardest part of supporting families whose kids are experiencing such big emotions is knowing what's typical and what's not and supporting you and understanding what's typical, what's not. And I see it in, in other avenues. It's not just with professionals. I see it in avenues where 
you know, other parents who are like, you know, buck up, you'll get through it. Um, you know, that used to happen for me too, but they have no words or no help to like help you get out of it. Um, aside from like ride it out and hope for the best. Highly sensitive kids who through no systematic or efficient or effective means stop chucking shit in the house. They don't all of a sudden start feeling better, guys. They all of a sudden stop telling you about it. And they actually start losing faith in the concept of language and communication to get their needs met. So they actually start regressing in their developmental capacity to understand the concept of communication as a means of getting their needs met. Now, when we talked about this earlier, and I summarized what we talked about earlier in our conversation, kiddos with autism spectrum disorder don't understand the logic of the concept of communication is the way to get your needs met. And, and, and highly sensitive children who have decompensated because they start communicating and it doesn't work because they lack the skills and parents are struggling to figure it out and help them, they start losing faith in that way of getting their needs met and they start taking on the responsibility for themselves, feeling like they are the ones that need to solve the problem so they stop reaching out. And that's how you get kids in mental health therapy who are suicidal, who are taking action on that. You know, it's what we treat in our private practice. Um, for, for teens, especially, who are, who are taking action on that, who are hurting themselves, taking action on wanting to hurt themselves through more lethal means than just the hitting in the face and headbanging and, um, and, and lashing out automatically, which is what you guys are seeing for your kids who are this young. So I want to... to, to give you that clarity today to help you see that if you are not working with somebody who does not help you understand how to get out of this stuck place and to move forward and and to feel capable and confident of managing your child's needs so that they flourish because they've done it before and they know what needs to be done and they're doing it from the framework of understanding the highly sensitive personality trait and knowing why your child doesn't fit these other mental health diagnoses or if they do, what about those mental health diagnoses are impacting how your highly sensitive child is becoming even more sensitive and, more, and less likely to use their skills than they used to have then they are not going to support you in changing the problem in the long run. So you'll see a band-aid experience of like your kiddo, maybe if you're lucky, liking to go to the therapist and playing, having fun, doing, you know, all sorts of different activities if they're if they're if they, they're trained in working with children or talking about it which doesn't work for kids regardless of, of whether or not they're highly sensitive. Um, and so if you're using talk therapy for your kiddo who's, who's highly sensitive, like get out, doesn't work. It doesn't meet your child's developmental needs. 
then then you're in for a long, tough road, guys. And parenting is tough enough. Parenting is hard enough. So how much are you willing to 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 endure to before you start to live your life? Pick your hard. It's either hard to figure it out and hard to 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 make a decision and to change your life right now and to stick with that decision. Or it's hard to navigate it all by yourself. Those are your hards. I mean, you, you knew going into having kids, it, excuse me, it wasn't going to be a cakewalk. It's not why we have kids. So we feel like we're nailing it. I mean, maybe we have kids because we're a little type A and we think we're going to nail it. But we have this reasonable expectation that like there's some things that we're going to have to learn on the journey. Um. But if it's gotten so bad where you just literally don't know what's going on and you question your every move and it's keeping you up at night, then that's not what life is supposed to be. That's not what life is all about. Life is not about sitting in a where did I go wrong spiral. Because it's only a matter of time before you start acting on that by zoning out or you know, making, making unsafe or poor choices yourself. And, and that's even worse for your kids. Um, because you, can, you can't sit with that level of, of fear for long before you start to, to start to numb yourself to it. So that's what I have for you today. Um, if you're ready to change that perspective, understand clearly what, what works for parenting highly sensitive children and, and discern whether or not you're, you're committed to make that change, then schedule a call. I don't know if what I am able to support you with will work until we get on that conversation. Because I need to know what we're dealing with here and how far it's gone and, and what the struggles are and, and where the challenges are. And um, and there are some families whom this is not, um, you know, in terms of what I offer, what, what, what makes sense and what's efficient, what's effective, or what the first step needs to be. And so we talk about that. But you guys need to, you need to understand that parenting a highly sensitive child requires a different perspective on life that even if you you are highly sensitive yourself it's unlikely that you'll figure out on your own um and and anyone who who wants to hack the system to get what they want in life they they seek out mentors they seek out support they seek out guidance they don't isolate they don't try to figure it out themselves they that, i mean that's the opposite of resourcefulness it's the opposite of commitment to solve your problem because if you feel like you can't solve your problem and you can't ask for help then that is that will that will um, shift you into shame yourself. So go ahead and book that call. Go to Megan Thompson Coaching. Oh, um, but but in terms of booking your call, MeganThompsonCoaching.com backslash talk. There's a there's a difference between knowing that you need to do something different and deciding that you're going to do something different. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. 
head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.